You know, there were times in church history where drums and guitars were viewed as satanic. And we have two guitars. Three guitars. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Well, I am so glad we have three guitars and you all using your gifts for the glory of God. Because as we know, guitars are neutral. It's what you do with them that matters. If you have your Bibles, turn them to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And go to verses 12. And we're going to look from 12, 12 to 30. 12, 12 to 30. I don't know if you've ever seen the bumper sticker before that says coexist and it has the various symbols of the various religions, world religions. It has uh, the star and the crescent are the C, um, I forget which is the O, the star of David makes up the X, uh, the S is the yin yang, they draw a little S in the yin yang which is uh, an example of, Mr., uh, of Eastern uh, Buddhism. And then lastly is the T. And it's a, it's a promotion that, of pluralism. We're promoting all the religions to, to get along. And, and I believe that that's possible. I, I want to tell you, I, I really do believe that's possible. I, I think some of the world religions are going to have to get their act together in order to coexist. But uh, I, I do believe it is possible. I also believe that they might be promoting something quite sinister, and that is that all are equal, and that all have an equal claim to the truth, which is not only unbiblical, it's also illogical. All of the world religions say mutually exclusive things, and they can all be false, but they can't all be true. They can all be false. But they can't all be true because they're saying mutually exclusive things. In other words, they are affirming and some affirming, some denying the same thing. And so it's impossible for all religions to be true. But I want to talk about something that's even better than coexistence this morning. And that is unity in diversity. Jesus, in John chapter 17, verses 20, prayed this for the future church. He prayed this. This is for us. I do not ask for these only, speaking of those who were alive, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So the apostles, Jesus is now praying for us. You ever think about that? Jesus in John chapter 17 is praying specifically for us. And there's a lot of prayers he could have prayed at this point. A lot of things he could have asked God to make his church at this point. Here's what he said. He could have asked for safety and health. He didn't ask for those things. He said that they, I pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for the church to be one as he and the Father are one, and that in our oneness, the world will believe in God. Our oneness is a testimony of God's oneness. Our unity is a testimony of God's unity. And our diversity is also a testimony of God's diversity. God is one in essence and three in person. He is one, but he is, he is united, but God is diverse. He goes on. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. There it is again. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Three times now he's asked for this, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Coexistence might be possible with various religions, but unity is God's goal for the church. Let's pray. Jesus, what better prayer request to ask for this church this morning than that you make this church one as you and the Father are one. There are many members, but only one body. Make us one by your Spirit. We were all baptized into one spirit. We all eat of one loaf. We all drink of the same cup. None are greater. All are one in Christ. Make us one, Lord. Amen. Let's look at our passage now, and that's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 30. It's a longer passage this morning, but... What could be better than reading the Bible in church? For just as the body is one. So follow, I want you to follow along with the logic this morning. In fact, before we do that, Chooks, would you put up the slide before we do this? Let's put up the slide where I have my definitions. I think it'll be helpful if we define these some words here really quickly. These are some important terms we need to know. Before we even read this, I want to just define these words. When, when you read in this passage the word members, it's the Greek word mele, and it means a limb of a body. Today when we talk about members, we think of like members of Facebook, right? Facebook has 15 or, I don't know, 150 million members. Yeah, but like it's not members of a club here. What Paul has in mind here is members of a body. It just would have been clumsy to write in there in the English translation, body parts. But every time you see the word members, he's using a metaphor, and he really means body parts, okay? All right? So keep that in mind. Uh, when you see the word body of Christ, or the phrase body of Christ, it really just means the church. The church. That is, the group of people who have been saved and baptized into Christ's body. We are the church. We are a local church. We're not the only church in the world. There are other churches. But we are a local church, a confessing body that those who are members here have accepted Christ as the only way of salvation. By faith alone, through grace alone, for God's glory. 
And we're here to worship Him. And we testify to that. So that's what this means, body of Christ. It means the church. When you see the word church, you won't really see it in this passage. But when you hear the word church, I want you to think a called out gathering. The, the Greek word is ekklesia. It's two words, ek meaning out, klesia meaning a calling. And when you hear me use the word church, I want you to think of a calling. A lot of us remember our calling out, a gathering. A lot of us remember when we were growing up, they used to have this thing in Sunday school called flannel graph, and it was a piece of flannel fabric, and they'd throw up the church, and it would be a, it would be a, a church building, right? A sanctuary like this. We call this the church. We should call it the sanctuary, really. Uh, we also remember this one. How many of you remember this one? This is the church, right? This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. The problem with that is, this is the church. The people. For those of you who think I'm having a stroke, I'm, I'm these, <laughs> this is what you did. Because it was a Pentecostal church, so they were moving around. <laughs> a Baptist church, that's a Baptist church. Actually, one or two fingers is a Baptist church. The rest of them are at home sleeping. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true. If you read the statistics, 15 million members in the Southern Baptist Convention and only 6 million of them show up on any given Sunday. That's the truth. But it communicates incorrectly that the building is the church, but the building's not the church. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, I want you to think the next time you go into that place you shouldn't be, you're taking the church in there. You know, we come in here with, oh, can I do this in the church? I don't know. Do you have dirty thoughts in your head? Because it's worse that you have dirty thoughts in your head than that you drink coffee in the church building. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Invisible church is something you're going to hear me throughout, hear me use throughout this sermon. It just means the church that God sees. So the invisible church is the church that God sees. The visible church is the church that we see. This is the visible church. And I'm going to use these two words throughout the, throughout the sermon, and it's important that I define them up front. Prominent member versus less prominent member. And a prominent member, I just mean by that visible. Right? I just mean visible. I don't necessarily mean important, though there is a, a, a sense in which that, that word prominence carries that meaning, but, and we'll, we'll get into that, but prominent just means more visible. I would be an example of a prominent member of our church because I preach. There are less prominent, less visible members who are no less important. And then there are less prominent members, those are the less visible. All right, let's read our passage this morning. This is a metaphor that Paul is going to use. He's going to use the human body as a metaphor for the church, okay? For just as the body is one and has many members, meaning body parts, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... The answer to each one of these questions, by the way, is no. These are all rhetorical. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to that is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. My main point this morning is this. God Himself has baptized His people by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. This we call the church, and it is made up of both prominent and less prominent members to be a single body of indispensable parts working together for His glory in the world. Let me read that again. God Himself Not the Pope, not Andrew Summers, Jim Summers, not our first pastor who started the Northwest Baptist Church. God himself has baptized his people by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. This is called the church. And it is made up of both prominent and less prominent members to be a single body of indispensable parts working together for His glory in the world. All right. Let's flesh this out this morning. Number one, bodies are made up of many members for the sake of unity. In the first part of our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13... It begins by saying, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
The Corinthian church was a divided church. They were divided and they were not just divided, but they were quarreling about their divisions. So they were divided and they were fighting. Sometimes the divisions were verbalized and at other times the divisions were not verbalized, but their attitudes and actions demonstrated division. And so whether or not they were actually verbalizing it, which they did, or just their attitudes and actions communicating division, which they did, the church was divided. And a woman by the name of Chloe wrote a letter to Paul. They had given her, I suspect, some questions to ask Paul. And Chloe wrote in some other things about the church and communicated that the church had some problems that needed to be fixed. They were divided in loyalty. Each one of them saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Early on, the church was even divided over who their leaders were going to be. Scholars believe that Apollos was a really good orator, a very good speaker. And so people began to say, well, I'm a follower of Apollos. If you ever go to these church conventions and you see these big names, you know, Ravi Zacharias is going to be there. I remember Ravi Zacharias was at one of these conferences. Norman Geiser was there and Gary Habermas, really the heavyweights that only us apologetics nerds know. And so I'm going to go and this guy, I remember he said to my dad, standing in line, have you ever seen Ravi? And my dad said, no, I haven't seen Ravi. Oh, you won't want to hear anyone else after you've seen Ravi. He said, sir, I'm here to hear everyone. Because we collect our, our pastors. They were doing that at Corinth. I'm a follower of Paulus, and I'm a follower of Paul, and, 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 and I like when Pastor Dave preaches, or, or I like when Andrew preaches. I'm a follower of Andrew, so I'll show up when Andrew preaches, but I'm not coming when Dave preaches. Oh, Dave didn't get the, the pastor? Well, then I'm leaving the church. No, no, no. That church was divided like that, and Paul shames them. Takes three chapters to do it. They were divided legally, brother taking brother to court, having unbelievers settle their disputes. They were divided from the Lord. They took their bodies and united them to a prostitute rather than being united to the Lord. They were even divided at the Lord's Supper, the very time when they should be united. Each one going ahead of his own meal, eating and drinking his fill without considering the poorer members of the church. Some getting drunk before the poor members could get off work and get to the love feast... They had already eaten all the food, the richer members who didn't have to work. The church simply lacked the unity God created all churches to have. This is why Paul goes into a lengthy discussion about the unity of the body when he discusses the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit, that there may be no division in the body. Now, the letter doesn't tell us whether or not they were divided over the spiritual gifts, but if they're divided over who their favorite preacher is, if they're divided over their, their own body and uniting their body to prostitutes, if they're divided over, over legal matters, taking one another to courts to be disputed by unbelievers, and they're even divided, not even sharing of their, of their food and of their drink at the Lord's Supper, why would they not be divided over the gifts of the Spirit? 
So Paul goes into a lengthy discourse about warning them, do not be divided over these gifts. Some are going to seem to be more important. Some are going to be more important, but some are going to be bigger and more, more prominent. But, but don't assume that the less prominent are indispensable. So Paul goes into a lengthy discussion about this. And he says some obvious things. Even the illustration is obvious. Imagine that I came up to you and I said, did you know that the human body has many parts to it? You would think I was crazy. And then I said, and did you know that the many parts of the body make up the one body? You'd probably, think, you'd probably say to me, thanks, Captain Obvious. Paul's saying something so simple about the body. He's saying, look, that the body has many parts to it. Don't we get that? Fingers, feet, we have arms, we have a nose, we have eyes, we have a mouth, but it's all one body. My mouth isn't its own body, and it's so simple, and Paul's saying this is such a simple thing that we know, a simple truth that we know, but it applies to the church. Paul's main point is not that the body has many members or that the many members make up the one human body, but he's using the human body as a metaphor for the body of the church. Because the church is made up of many different races, Jews and Greeks, Jamaicans and Guatemalans, New Jerseyans and Georgians. It is also made up of people from many walks of life. Slaves or free, smart or simple, rich or poor. His point is that people of every race and status are made to drink of the one spirit and joined into the one body of Christ. When we do the Lord's Supper, every one of us, it is not the time for us to sit there and confess sin unless you haven't confessed it. You should be confessing your sin daily. Well, I know I did a bad thing today, but uh, well, I'll wait till the Lord's Supper to confess my next sin. No. It is at this moment where we all eat the body and say, as rich as I am, or as poor as I am, or as male as I am, or female as I am, or as black or white as I am, we all eat of the same body. Whether he's pastor or not, he eats from the same body that you eat from. And so Paul is making this point, and he makes it better even in Galatians 3.28 where he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. This is, this is exactly what the world is trying to get today. They're, they're trying to get away from from the, the, the superiority of races and the superiority of the sexes and the superiority of wealth. And so they, they have free Lolita campaigns on Saturday and they have, uh, you know, they march on, on Washington today and tomorrow and for everything under the sun. And they're not going to get it short of being baptized into one spirit and into one body. 
Because the division of the human body of male and female, I don't care what Target is trying to tell you, is just obvious. Gender division is just obvious. Anybody who's ever had a little boy running around their house and a little girl will know. Boys just break so much more. Girls break your hearts. Boys break your lamps. But, but listen to what Paul says that in Christ, in Christ, you know, you want to say, well, women are equal. Yeah, in Christ they are. Well, black is equal. Yeah, in Christ they are. Well, rich is equal. Yeah, in Christ they are. The church has got to be the lighthouse of the unity to the rest of the world. We cannot be in disunity in the body. And that's why Paul's writing this letter. Well, then let's make some other points. God has also arranged his church to function as a unity of many members. If you have the verses 14 through 26, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just look at these because these verses, and they are verse 20 or verse 18, 24, and 28. Okay? I'm going to skip to 28 there. But verses 14 through 26, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Look at verse 18. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So it is God's design to see a church, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You didn't know I could sing like that, did you? That's what's up. You get that. That's for free. You don't. It's because I don't have a suit jacket on today. I just feel like I can move around. And I'm wearing jeans. Oh, man, jeans and guitar. We're in trouble. Well, that's how God made the church. He didn't make it to be made up of men. He made it to be made up of men and women and children. He didn't make it to be made up of Jews. He made it to be made up of Jews and Gentiles and whites and blacks. And that's why I love this church. This is one of the, big, this is one of the best churches to look around and see that. This is what God wants. It's so beautiful. And our potluck is to die for. You want to see the confidence that I have when I walk into Island of the Pines and I order my jerk chicken every Friday and they look at me like, what do you know about that? And I'm looking at them like, what do you know about that? You don't know where I'm from. My church can throw down in the kitchen. And after that, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go get some conch fritters from the Bahamian store down the street. And I'm going to have a country breakfast in the morning. <laughs> but this is how God, God did this, right? Thank you, God. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I love it. And we should encourage it in other places. And if you go around America, you still see all white churches, all black churches. It hurts me when I hear people say, well, I, I got to go to Haitian church. There is not going to be a Haitian congregation in eternity. You're going to have to worship with white boy me. And yes, I'm going to be off rhythm. 
No, I won't. <laughs> Not only that, but then look at verse, Paul, Paul reiterates this point in verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So not only has God made the body with various members, but he gives, he gives greater honor to the parts that we don't necessarily think are important. Well, I'm not a preacher, so I must not be important. No, you don't know how important you are to the body. I am convinced that when we get to heaven, we're all going to see that old lady we didn't think was very important to our church, but who prayed for us day and night. She prayed for the saints. What an important task. Sometimes I don't know how I'm going to get from Monday to Tuesday. And I mean that. I need your prayers. Your leaders need your prayers. We need your support. Just seeing you on a Wednesday night, is it means so much. We poured our heart into writing these sermons and doing the study. And just, just you being here, oh, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's indispensable. It means so much. This is God's plan. Verse 28 tells us that God has appointed our roles as well. But the church is a reflection of God's nature. God himself is a unity of one essence and a diversity of three persons who has made his church in light of his very nature. In fact, this very passage shows how all three persons of the Trinity work together in the unity of the divine will. Each person of the Trinity here is distinguished by their own distinct work of operation in building the one church. And they work to arrange the body to function as a unity of many members. The Father has sovereignly arranged the parts to his church, to work in harmony. The Greek word for the, for the arranging there is the word etheto. And then in verse 24, where it says God has so composed, it's the Greek word synekeresean, from which we get the word synchronize. That all the parts work together. They're working in harmony. We cannot have one, we cannot have only the drums, we have to have the the saxophone, and we have to have the bass, and we have to have the other guitars, whatever they're called, and we have to have the trumpets, and they've got to play their notes, and they can't come over here and play the notes of the guitar. If they do, we're not going to have a harmony, we're going to have a cacophony. That's disharmonious sound. And the world is going to look at us and say, oh man, I, can't, I don't even want to be over there. Listen to that. So there are many members here. So the Father arranges the body to work in harmony. The Spirit, we are all baptized into one Spirit, into the one body of the Son, Jesus Christ. And when, therefore, the members of the body view their position as not significant or not a part of the body, the church then fails to represent the God in whose image it has been made. Each individual member has been baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as one individual member equipped with his or her own set of gifts to be used to edify the one body. This is why Paul says, 
Can the eye be the foot? No. Can the foot be the hand? No. Can the eye be the ear? No. Because if the eye's doing the ear's job, where's our sense of sight going to be or, or sense of hearing? Every part arranged by God according to the measure he has poured out and to represent himself. Consider then for just a second the illustration of a bicycle. A bicycle is made up of many indispensable parts, some more prominent than others. The seat, if you've ever ridden a bicycle without a seat, let me just tell you, that is a prominent member of the bicycle. And some of those seats are really good seats. So the seat and the tires and the handlebars and the frame are really prominent members or parts of the bicycle. And some are less prominent than others. The chain and the gears and the spokes and even the air inside the tires are less prominent. Each part, though, is necessary for the bicycle to function. And without any single part missing or with any single part missing, the bicycle is insufficient for its purpose, namely to take a person from point A to point B. A gear may not look very important. The chain may not be very impressive to look at. But once the chain pops off the gear, no matter how nice that seat is, you're going nowhere. And so each part is necessary, and only together when they are all functioning in their proper place can that bicycle be a bicycle. And the church is made up of many parts, some less prominent than others. But we cannot function at the level we need to function or we've been called to function at unless we are all using the parts that God has given to us to use for the one church. God has arranged his church to function as a unity of many members. The implications of this are as follows. God and man don't emphasize the same things when it comes to church. We're impressed with pastors. God is impressed with faithfulness. We are impressed with the big givers. And God is impressed by the one who gives from all they have. God is impressed with the less prominent. If you believe that, continue to serve in your role. Everyone then, another implication of this is that everyone in the church has a ministry. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone in the church is indispensable. We are not the body we need to be when we are out somewhere else. We need you here. Several weeks ago, where is Sam? Sam's not here. Sam Thompson said something in Wednesday night. And he said it in front of everybody. So I don't mind saying it. And it was great. And I'm glad he said it and I didn't. So he gets in trouble. And he feeds you. So don't say anything rude to Sam. We were talking about the body, and he said, well, you know, Andrew, the core members, the ones who are really here. What does he mean? What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean the core members, the ones who are... He means those who we can count on. Those members. You know, Andrew, the ones we can count on. 
Thanks for seeing it, Sam. Sorry I unleashed them on you. Some of people talk about this. It's called the 80-20 rule. It means that 20% of the people do 80% of the work 100% of the time. I, I didn't make that up. Ed Stetzer, who is the, holds the Billy Graham Chair of Church, Mission, and Evangelism at Wheaton College, said this, If I preach about gay marriage, everybody cheers. If I preach about sin, you can hear the amens ring. But those aren't the real problems in our churches. I tell people that the biggest sin in our church is people sitting there doing nothing and still calling themselves followers of Jesus. The elephant in the evangelical room, he continues, is that we're not making disciples. If you're a Christian, you're called to ministry. I have preached a lot of sermons from this pulpit. Last week, I was petrified that when I got here, nobody would be here today. Because I, I, I was yelling a lot. I hadn't slept in a couple weeks, okay? But I'm not the only pastor who's afraid. Yeah, when we preach about gay marriage, most of us aren't worried about it because we're married to our heterosexual spouse. But when we say something like, every Christian is called to serve in their local church, what? Not me. I'm not called to work with babies. Listen to me. I went on a field trip with elementary, 200 elementary kids this last Thursday. No one is called to work with kids. They are miserable. I wish we could just lock them all up. I appreciate my parents so much. I understand why they did. I understand why they did what they did. And, and, and we were there, and Miss Torres was, was working. She's a master, man. She's an octopus. She's got multiple arms, and she's pulling sandwiches from here, and water bottles are throwing over here. She's pushing this child out of the way to get down over there. This kid's got to go pee-pee. She's sending him with this teacher. And I just stood there, and I said, how can I serve? What can I do? And she said to me, no, 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 no. Oh, she's a little spitfire. She's tough. She, no, no, no. So she came to me. She said, I'm so sorry. I said, don't pee. This situation can only be stressful. It can't be good. It's going to be stressful 100% of the time. You're in charge. How can I serve? Now, that's the one time I'm going to pat myself on the back because a lot of times I don't go because I, don't, I want to avoid that very thing. But someone has to do it. And I love what he's saying here. He's saying that all of what Stetzer is saying here is that we have to be here. All of us have a ministry. And what is your particular ministry? What your leaders are asking you to do in your local church. It can't be what you want to do. Because God has made the leaders to be the leaders of the church for a reason. It has to be what the leaders who are faithfully working to order and organize this church are asking of its people. The head tells the body what to do. How do I know? Hand, wave up and down. See? I am telling the body what to do with my head. And Christ has told the head to tell the body, members do everything 
with honor and respect your leaders so that they may do so joyfully and without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 17. Diversity is an essential to the health and the existence of the church. If the whole body performed only one function, how would the other functions get done? If all were a single member, where would the body be? If all were ears, where would the sight come from? If all were eyes, where would the smell come from? There would be no diversity. But God has not made his church to be only one member. He has made it to be many members of one body. The less prominent member says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a prominent member. And the less prominent member tends to have an attitude that says, I think that I'm not a part of the body because I don't perform the visible parts of the ministry, i.e. preaching, teaching, music ministry, or missions. The attitude of the less prominent is, I'm not a part of this body. You don't really need me because I don't preach. No, in just a second, I'm going to show you how important you are to this body. Even if you don't preach or sing in the, or sing in the choir or play an instrument. The attitude of the more prominent member is to say, I don't need you to the less visible parts of the ministry. The eye says to the ear, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Pastors can sometimes leave the impression to their administrators, their helpers, their prayer warriors, their nursery workers, those who sit here and give sign language. Do you know how long Shonda has been doing sign language? She is preaching the gospel through sign. And she's been doing it for decades. Most of you don't even know who she is. And without her, we have someone who doesn't have hearing, who doesn't hear the message. And we have a tendency from the leadership to think that the role keepers or the welcome team uh, members or the choir members or the prayer teams or the follow-up directors or the deacons or those who do visitation are less important. And God says, nope. They are indispensable parts of the body. So we divide over wealth. Now all the wealthy are more important. All the poor say, I'm not important. We divide over race. We divide over ability. Oh, I'm not a good speaker. Oh, I am a good speaker. Over leadership. He's a better speaker than him. Over gender. Over disputable matters. Over feuds. We divide over sin. We divide over politics. We divide over ministry plans. All to the shame of the body we've been united to be in. But God has equipped every member with a gift to serve their local church, no matter how great or how small that gift may be. Because we don't get to determine how important that role or gift is to a local body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Remember last week's point. One of the best evidences that we are a part of the invisible church is that we are members of a visible church. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
Well, we know that we are a part of the invisible body if we are members and active, serving, faithful members of a local body. Corinthians 1, 20, 12, 28, God has appointed in the church. This is God himself designing his church to have prominent and less prominent, but to be a single body of indispensable parts working together for his glory in the world. And then finally, he says in 29 and 30, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues, And this is not an exhaustive list. There are other things that you can do to serve your local church. They didn't have technologies like synthetic technologies that we have today. But Alan uses his gift of synthetic technology to put this up for everybody to see. David Reed and Alan Reed are like Spider-Man, climbing up and down of our balconies, putting up things up here to, to shed light on us. It doesn't mention the music ministry. Where would we be without Kathleen? It doesn't talk about a youth ministry. Where would we be without Dave? It doesn't talk about children having a a, a Christian school. Where would we be without Jerry? But these are all gifts that we're using to edify and glorify the one body. Are all teachers? No. Are all prophets and apostles? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret but earnestly desire? Or do all interpret? No. But do we earnestly desire the higher gifts? Yes. What are the higher gifts? Faith, hope, love, and above else, unity. Unity. Authority and prominence are part of God's design, but not to the injury of the subordinate and less prominent. The less prominent are still a part of the body and an indispensable part of the body at that. But not to the undermining of the importance of the prominence of the authorities in the church. So there are still authorities in the church. That's why it begins by saying God appointed what? First apostles. Your uncle may be a very smart philosopher, but as witty as he is, he does not have more authority than the apostles who wrote this book. This is the final rule for us. Then prophets, then teachers. And the teachers are subordinate to the authority of the Bible and not the other way around. And churches are subordinate to their leaders. Yes. Acts 6, 1 through 7 demonstrates this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. So already they're dividing. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Somebody's got to wait the tables and somebody's got to preach the sermons. Somebody's got to work in the nursery. Somebody's got to be on the welcome team, the security team. And they're all indispensable. And the church has been dealing with this since the beginning. Think about this passage. 
After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, Luke 8, 1 through 3, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Do you realize that the gospel would not even have been able to be promulgated around the world had those women not helped out of their own means? And it's not just financial. The gospel itself can't go forward if the means are not there to make that so. We cannot go to Costa Rica. We cannot help out in the community if we don't give of our means to support the promulgation of the gospel. These women are therefore indispensable to the gospel. Well, the ministry has always required the whole body to assist in the promulgation of the gospel truth. The whole body, every one of you, who's sitting in these chairs today, are essential to this church. What did I say? When on, my, on my Sunday that we did the inauguration, I made something. I said something to you, and I, I want to make, make you very aware that I still believe it today. I will make this church nothing. We will make this church everything. It will be all of us that will make this church something. Last week, we had a family from Brooklyn come and uh, they're a pastor family. And the wife of the pastor uh, went onto our Facebook page and she just posted one of the nicest things. And she made sure to say at the very beginning and make it very clear how loving and kind you were as a church and how she felt so welcome and her family felt so welcome. Yes! That's what I've been asking for. She said the preacher was all right, but the church. No, she had nice things to say about me as well. But do you know that most people choose their churches before they even hear the preacher preach? You are indispensable, every one of you. Every one of you. Every one of you. Well, how can I serve? Let me answer that right now. How can you serve? How can you today serve? Jesus said, if anyone wishes to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Step one, be servant of all. One of our major goals at Northwest is to look for ways to stir up love and good works within our church through acts of other directed service. Our desire is to reflect the image of Christ more and more each day by humbly serving others and by creating an atmosphere where acts of service are the norm and not the exception. Here are some ways you can serve the church. You can commit to spiritual revitalization daily in your personal life through Bible study and prayer. You can read through 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 30 this week over and over and over and let it pour into your heart. You can do that. That's one way you can serve. 
You can commit to personal evangelism. Tell others about Christ. That's how you can serve this church. You can invite others to come and visit so that they too can hear the gospel. You can welcome guests when they come. You can attend Sunday morning and Wednesday evening services. You can serve this church by having a humble attitude. You can attend our Sunday schools. You can be encouraging instead of discouraging with your words. You can pray for and with members and for and with the leaders. You can support your leaders. There is nothing better than the support of a local church. Nothing! Visit other members in the hospital. You can support and serve your church by calling members who are sick or struggling or celebrating an accomplishment. You can give your time, your services, and your possessions to those in need in our church. You can lend a helping hand to one another. You can be a mentor to young people, women raising the young women, and older men giving wisdom and instruction to the younger men. You can help others overcome sin in their life by being an accountability partner. You can be eager to reconcile with those members in a spirit of forgiveness. You can serve this church by helping others discover their spiritual gifts. You can serve this church by serving in one of our ministries. You can serve by making church about others and not about yourself. You can serve by striving for unity. You can serve by training your own family to love the church. And you can serve us by treasuring your church membership here as a gift. This list is not exhaustive. So we encourage everyone to consider the other ways where they can stir up love and good works. Your pastor is asking a very, very simple thing. You can serve just by being what God has made you to be. Many members of one body. Let's pray. God, you are one. Lord, fix the fractures in our church. Make us one as you are one. We love you, Father. Let the world see that we love you by how we love one another. Let the world see that we belong to the invisible church by our love and service in the local church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Lord, make this happen. Only you can. Amen. Would you stand with us as we go?
again. One heart, one spirit, one voice to praise you. We are the body of Christ. One goal, one vision to see. desire to be one body, to exalt you, and to praise you with our service to you. Bless us now as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>